Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Well, I'm going to try to be as lively as I can today, but unfortunately it was a long week um, for me. Um, also, I got about four hours of sleep last night between Battle and Miller Moths all night. Those things are, those got to be spawns of Satan, I guarantee it. That, those things are so nasty. I don't know, does anybody else hate moths as much as me? Oh my gosh. You'd be sleeping, like one laying on your face, and you like hit yourself in the face. Ah! And grab it. Uh, and that's the weird thing, is like they're, they're moist. I don't know. It's, they kind of squish when you hit them, so I don't, I don't know. They, they put off dust, but they kind of squish when you hit them. I don't understand it. But uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but I just hate moths, so there's my rant for the day. <laughs> Uh, well, and I, uh, Kevin kind of told me a few months ago um, that I was going to be speaking today, and I didn't really know, uh, like usual, I don't know what, what I'm going to talk about. I always have kind of an idea, but I, I always have all these ideas, and it seems like God gives me these ideas, and he's like, okay, unscram- unscramble the puzzle. And um, so, like many stories that have been told up here, this one comes from the McLean outfit. <laughs> don't worry, nothing bad happened besides me just wrecking some of his tent. Uh, that he had to fix, <laughs> but uh, we uh, we were sorting some uh, some steers out of some some pears, and if you ever sorted some steers out of pears, you know how well that goes. Usually, usually don't ever sort off very easy. And uh, so we were kind of up on top of this hill, and we we're sorting these steers through a gate, and I think we had just about all of them sorted through, except for this one Jersey steer. And um, leave it to a Jersey steer to be the one. But uh, oh, we. We eventually, he kind of ran over us a couple times trying to get him out the gate, and uh, so we got him through the gate anyways, and we started going towards the pens we were going to, and um, eventually he just kind of turned back around and just said, uh-uh, I ain't going, and just ran over us. And he, he runs so hard all the way back to that pasture, he just ran through the fence without even any pressure on him. He just ran through the fence back into that pasture. And uh, so Robert went ahead and took the rest of those steers uh, to the pens with his dogs, and I stayed behind, and I got... Uh, Went through the other gate that we, that we went through, and I got around that steer, and it was getting kind of hot by then, and so I gave him one more chance, and he ran over me again, and so the next time I just, I just roped my rope down and was tied on, and so the next time he ran by me, I just went ahead and roped him and then just let him clothesline himself. But um, so we get him, I get him roped and everything, and I get kind of short, and I drag him through the gate, and on the way through the gate, I wrecked Robert's fence. He hit the fence post pretty hard and kind of broke it in two, so sorry, Robert. Um, but, uh, so we get, uh, we get going through the gate and he, he chokes down and he's beller and he's jumping about five foot in the air and he's, he's mad. Um, he's not on the fight with me yet, but he's mad. Um, he's kicking at the back of his head, trying to get the rope off and just PO'd. I mean, mad, mad. He's throwing himself down and getting back up and jumping and squalling and bellering and, um, pretty soon he chokes down and, um, I let him get his air and. So when I let him get his air, I get behind him, and I'm going to try to push him in the right direction, right? Well, I push him about 50 yards, and he makes this great big circle around. And uh, once he makes a circle around, he just goes right back around to where he came from. And so I just turned my horse around and just pitched some slack to him and just let him hit the end again. And he got jumps and bellers and does his deal, and eventually he throws himself down and is bawling. You can hear him bawling from probably a mile away. It was, for me, it's kind of funny, but for some people, would probably think it's animal cruelty. but. <laughs> And mostly just because I envisioned myself as that same, that same cow, except I'm with God, uh, and he's 
kind of just choking me down because I don't want to go the right way. And uh, but I don't know. We, he probably chokes down four or five more times. And, and I'll get to the, to the rest of that story in a little bit and tell you what kind of happened at the end. But uh, I wanted to, to get kind of personal with some things, um, of some things that I've been going through here lately. And, and uh, oh, it's just been, been having to get real with myself a lot. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine that um, oh, I don't really know what happened, I mean, in our friendship, but uh, they just kind of just quit talking to me and just kind of closed themselves off to the outside world. And this sermon isn't about any of them. It's actually about preaching to myself um, because I, I let that affect me in a way where <clears throat> I was doing the same thing. You know, their kind of rejection of me was making me do the same thing where I just wanted to just kind of just sit in a hole. You know, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't really want to talk to anybody. And that was kind of the, the manifestation of the rejection that I had from them. And it, they didn't even mean to do it. It wasn't even their fault. I just took it that way. And, you know, that kind of led me, led me on, a, on a track of I wasn't really, I wasn't really happy with God because of this, this friendship that broke. You know, I didn't think that there was anything that anybody did wrong. I didn't understand what they were going through. I wanted to help them, but there wasn't nothing that I could do. And so I just was really frustrated with God. And, and when you get frustrated with God, it, you, can, you can have a come-to-Jesus meeting with him, but you're going to lose. And that's what I had anyways. Uh, I remember my friend Faith, they... Uh, her and her parents, they always like me to come over and watch the Avalanche game. If anybody's Avalanche fans, you know what I'm talking about. We love watching Avs. And uh, so, uh, but anyways, I told them I didn't want to come over, which for me to not want to go watch hockey is kind of an odd thing. So I, she, probably, she probably figured something was up, and so she asked. And I just said, well, me and God are fixing to have a, a toe-to-toe meeting, and I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose anyways. I know it, but we're going to have it anyways. And, uh, and it, it led me. I did a lot of praying that night. and. Um, it led me to some conclusions that I'm not even going to go into today. I mean, I will go into some of them, but he doesn't owe us an explanation for a lot of the suffering that we go through. Um, I think a lot of the suffering that I went through with all this stuff was just by design so I could come and speak, speak about it to you guys today. Um, I didn't know really the, exactly the, the point of everything that I was going through right then until really the past few days when I started putting all this together. Um, it's kind of like that puzzle piece that I was talking about earlier. He gives me all these things to to talk about, and then I'm just supposed to put them together. Um, <clears throat> but one thing I want to get kind of out of the way, and I'm going to kind of hit a ver- variety and a wide spectrum of stuff, is, you know, we all have some sort of shame um, from rejection or something that's happened in our past, and, and, and it really involves us getting real to, to get better. Um, a lot of times the manifestation or the, or the result of shame can, um, or we can get shame from maybe having an alcohol addiction or a pornography addiction or some sort of addiction or some sort of secret sin that we try to hide from ourselves or from other people. Um, but and unfortunately, we may, we may be able to hide it from um, other people in the outside world, but we can't hide it from God. Sometimes the things that we want to hide from God the most, um, He knows anyway. <laughs> even, even when we don't think that He knows, He knows. And, uh, and what I want to get through today, and we're going to be in John 21, you know, I, I want to show a, a side of Jesus that most people don't really ever get to see. Um, it's not really preached over a lot. Um, but when you get to shame, you know, it can come from those addictions or maybe in affairs or maybe it can come from like a past abortion. Uh, maybe you have a shame because of that. And, um, you know, a response to, a response to those, um, those shames or those addictions or whatever is you hide. You hide from the outside world. You kind of close yourself off or you kind of feed those addictions with more addictions. Sometimes it's workaholism. Sometimes it's, um, you just try to try to feed that flame, and you're trying to fill that void in your heart for something that you did in your past 
that you never really got uh, you never got healed from. And there's a difference there's a difference between being um, forgiven, but there's a there's another thing in being restored. Being forgiven and being restored are two different. And that's what I want to go into today. Is you know I know a lot of everybody in here has a relationship with Christ and they know they're forgiven, right? But it doesn't mean that they, that you've been restored from it. Um, some, I know some people that have been um, Christians for 40 years and they still can't get restored from something that happened 40 years ago because they never got real with what happened. And unfortunately, that, that, that really builds up walls. Um, that really builds up walls between maybe you and your spouse or you and your significant other, maybe um, a workplace uh, riff you got going on. Um, you just build up these walls because that shame does something to a person where you don't, you don't want everybody to know the real you because you're afraid that if they know the real you, they may not like you. And I think that's how Satan gets us, um, gets us to, to keep from having real human interaction and real human connection. And, but the point, I, one of the points I want to make today is, is, you know, if you have a wound on your body and it's a deep, deep cut, right? Like so deep that you're going to need stitches and some surgery. And if you don't go in, if you don't do anything about it, then what's it going to do? It's going to get infected. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get infected. It's just going to get worse, right? And unfortunately, that's what a lot of that stuff happens in our lives when we make those mistakes is, is they just get worse because we never tend to those wounds, right? Um, so that's, that's one of the things I want to get to today, and that's obviously in the sermon title is getting real. And sometimes you've got to get to those, those real hurts and those real things that you're going through to get restored. Um, and I'll get to why you need to be restored here in a little bit. Um, so if I want to start off with just a verse, um, Isaiah 57, 15. It'll kind of set the mood for the rest of this. But um, it, uh, it says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed in spirit. I, re- I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. What he's talking about is, is him getting real with God. And God will get real with you and he'll revive those, those healings that we talk about and God re- replenishing all your courage and your love. It only comes whenever you come to him. That's the only time he's going to refill is when you humbly go to him and ask for forgiveness or ask to be healed or start that healing process. Um, but if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open up to John 21. And I'll just kind of start going through some things. Um, Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples. This is after the resurrection. um, Beside the Sea of Galilee. This is is how it happened. Several of the disciples were were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, um, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples, uh, one being John, obviously. Um, Simon Peter said, well, I'm going to go fishing. And the other said, well, we'll come too. Um, So they went out in the boat, but they, they caught nothing all night. They fished all night. And that goes back to exactly what I was talking about. So there's, I want to set kind of the, the, the background here. Um, back in like Luke 24, I think, um, Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. And at that point, it says something about, you know, he basically forgave the disciples, but he was basically calling out on their arrogance. Um, you can read through all the Gospels and just see arrogance everywhere in the disciples. They never really believed that Jesus was the Son of God, right? I mean, it was just arrogance upon arrogance. Uh, I, mean, I know when Jesus predicted his own death, like not like, I remember like probably 10 minutes later, um, the disciples were literally talking about who was going to be the greatest. This is after Jesus predicted his own death. And so they, to, to a point, they didn't even care about Jesus at all. Um, so Jesus kind of called him out on that arrogance in Luke 24. But, but at the end of Luke 24, he tells him to go back to Galilee. And Galilee is a, a place where, from, where most of those disciples were from. That's where the place where um, Jesus really called like Peter and a lot of them into ministry. So. Um, those disciples know that is home. That's kind of their safe space. Um, 
And so they all kind of, they, they kind of went to Galilee with their tail between their legs. Um, and I can, in that moment of Luke 24, it's just like what I was talking about earlier. Jesus forgave them in that moment, but none of those disciples were restored. And the reason I know they weren't restored is because they were not doing their work. They were not doing their ministry, what they were called to do. Um, so they went back to what they knew. They had that shame and they had that kind of sense of rejection probably from, from Jesus. They didn't feel real good. Um, so they went back to what they knew. And Peter and the disciples went back to what they knew by, by fishing. And uh, it was probably going to manifest itself in workaholism for Peter because it says in, um, in verse 3, uh, they fished all night and caught nothing. So they were dedicated. They fished all night and didn't catch a single thing. And that was what that shame was hiding. That's what Peter was stuffing everything down deep inside to try to, to try to get all that. He had all that shame built up, but he didn't know what to do with it. He wasn't restored, right? So back in verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, Jesus loved, John, um, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it, it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped from work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Um, when, they got, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Jesus, even after being mad at them, the very next time he saw them, he didn't belittle them or anything. He cooked them breakfast. This is a different side of Jesus than what we've probably seen in the past, where he's flipping over tables calling people hypocrites and snakes, which rightfully he did. He, did. he had a right to do that. But this is a side of him that people rarely see. It's the gentle side. So when they got to shore, they saw charcoal fire and some fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and, and drug the net to shore. And there were exactly 153 large fish. And yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dare ask him, dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I want to kind of go through some psychological things. This is kind of some things that psychiatrists do when they're dealing with stuff on when people have like some PTSD, or I call it PTS because it's not really a disorder. Everybody has some sort of PTS in their life, some, some sort of trauma that they've all been through. Um, but, but something that a lot of psychiatrists will do is they'll... Uh, they kind of see what the issue is, maybe that you're, that you're having trouble with. And instead of just, like, telling you what the issue is, they kind of, like, lead you in a bunch of questions back to the truth, of, back to the root of kind of what's going on. And uh, this is kind of what Jesus is doing here. Um, he's kind of recreating the scene. And, and the reason he's recreating the scene is he's setting it up for Peter, Peter's restoration. Um, and Peter doesn't even know it yet. So you can look back. Um, the Bible is a little light. Um, when it talks about Peter uh, denying the Lord, right? Peter was a fisherman his whole life. Um, they'd only been in ministry for three years with Jesus at that time, so I, I can probably guess and, the, and probably guess from the stories of, in the Gospels that he wasn't really, um, didn't really grow. I know he probably growed quite a bit while following Jesus, but not to the degree that we probably thought. Because um, uh, when he denied Jesus, the Bible's a little light in the words when he says it. it it's, it's pretty graphic. He's cursing. He's basically saying, blankety blank, I don't know the blank and blank, to Jesus' face. And um, you can imagine if, if, if somebody did that to us, we'd probably be pretty mad. But Jesus, instead of getting mad at it, he gets gentle. The first thing he does is he doesn't want to be mad at Peter. He wants to restore him because he knows that's for the greater good. Um, so he's setting up this, this kind of this setting for Peter to get restored. And so um, 
the charcoal fire has some significance because what was Peter doing whenever he denied the Lord? He was warming his hands over charcoal. Where was Peter when he denied Jesus? In front of a bunch of other people. Where was Peter right now in this story? He was in front of a bunch of other disciples, right? Um, and then we get to verse 15 where Jesus starts asking three questions. He asked Peter three questions. After, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many questions did Jesus ask Peter? Three. He was going back to that hurt and that shame that Peter already had. Jesus remembers that pain, and Jesus already knew that pain. That's how he knew how to deal with it. That's how he deals with us. He knows the pain that we're going through, and he wants us to be restored, but it's up for us to go to him. What did Peter do whenever he's, he knew it was Jesus? He got out of the boat and ran to Jesus, right? He didn't know that Jesus was even going to restore him that day. He just went to him anyway. He went to him anyway. And I'll, I'll come back to these questions right here, and I want to, I want to get kind of um, philosophical, I guess, but or scholar-wise. A lot of scholars have argued about um, the translations of this, but um, I don't really think it matters. Um, the first two questions when, when um, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, there was a bunch of different words in the Greek language for love that we, we've all heard of probably. Um, but the love that Jesus was using in the first two questions was, Peter, do you agape me? Which is, do you love me and do you respect me as your Lord? Right? And Peter's like, well, yeah, you know that I respect you as your Lord. And this is the third question. He changes the word love that he uses. He uses philadelphia, a brotherly love, a family love. This is why it probably hurt Peter so much when Jesus asked him that because that family love hits a little different, right? I know I grew up in a, in a really good family, and I'm blessed to be. My family is some of my best friends, and I can go with them to anywhere. And they accept all my screw-ups, all my failures. doesn't matter. They and that's probably why Peter was so hurt because Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me like a brother? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter was hurt when he asked him that. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I do. And here's the, here's the thing. The first question, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I love you. Maybe, yeah. Second question, Jesus repeated the same question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter kind of had to take a second guess. Well, yeah, yeah, I do love you. The third question really got Peter, and he said, yes, yes, Lord. And here's the thing that, uh, that happened when, when Jesus started that restoration. We live in a world where um, self-love is a, is a big thing nowadays, um, where we always say that we can't love other people until we love ourselves, which is hogwash. I'm sorry, I'm going to burst your bubble on that. It's not a real thing. Self, self-love equals self-hate every time. It's actually in the word. Self-love means self-love. That means when you love yourself, that's the only person that gets loved, right? And are you ever going to completely love yourself if you're a fallen person? No. You're going to con- continue to make mistakes, right? So how do you receive that love? How do you have genuine human connection? And also, how does the will of God happen if you don't have genuine human connection and you don't love other people? Because you can't give what you can't have, right? If I write a check to Robert, for more money than I have in my bank account, which isn't much, what's going to happen? Check's going to bounce, right? If I haven't received that, I can't give it away, right? It's the same thing with our, with our spiritual needs. If we don't receive this grace from God, if we don't receive this, this forgiveness and restoration from God, today's, today's message is all about receiving grace. If we don't receive that grace, how can we give it to other people? If we're not restored, how can we give it to other people? We can be forgiven, but that doesn't mean we're restored, right? 
I know people that have been Christians, like I said, for 40 years, or they've been believers for 40 years, and yet they haven't served a day in their life. And this isn't a message over serving, but there's just some things that they are so bitter and angry towards other people still that they are so unwilling to love them that the Word of God never gets spread. That genuine human connection obviously never happens, and the will of God doesn't happen, right? And, and here's the thing about the will of God. The will of God is 90% of doing what God has already just told you to do. Just do what he tells you to do in this book. That's 90% of the will of God. It's not some big fancy thing that happens in your life. The will of God is what you do and how you follow God. That's it. Through your life circumstance, through your life, through your everyday life, do you follow this book? Because every, every, question, every, every question that we have in life has an answer in this book. But it doesn't happen unless we have that restoration. So how do we get that restoration? The first thing I want to, want to talk about is just like what Peter did. He went to Jesus, right? How can we go to Jesus? We, we, pray. we pray. We pray to God, right? Um, and number one, there's three different things that you have to do, and it starts with prayer. Prayer, prayer has it all. Um, I know a person that um, <laughs> I had a really hard time forgiving oh, a few years ago, and I did not like them one bit. Um, but I knew I needed to forgive them. Um, I was tired of being angry at the world and just being angry at them, and I knew it wasn't wasn't going to uh, help help anybody for me to just keep this uh, this anger up. I mean, who likes to be around somebody who's angry all the time? Not me. I don't. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was definitely not mature then uh, when I started these prayers, but, you know, I'd heard a sermon that this is what you're supposed to start doing if you, if you had somebody to forgive, and that was what you need to start praying, right? You need to start praying to, what's the Bible say? Bless those who persecute you, right? So the last thing I wanted to do was ask God to bless that person that hurt me to give them something. Uh, I did not want to do that. You know, I'm still in the healing process of, of, of asking them to bless them. I mean, sometimes I still get mad at that same person, even though I haven't talked to them in like four years. I'm still mad at the situation, but I, I have to continually forgive. And that's the first, the first question, is, or the first point is to ask for forgiveness. Willfully choose to forgive, even though you don't want to. I know there's a lot of times whenever I pray that I really don't want to pray. You know? I get mad when people don't, don't want to talk to me. Or when I don't want to talk to people, and they'll be like, well, don't you want to talk to me today? Well, I'm sorry. I don't even feel like talking to God today. What makes you so special? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't say that. I want to, but I don't. Um, but uh, uh, you have to willfully choose to forgive somebody. The second step of, to forgiving is you have to master your emotions. Uh, you have to continually forgive. You know, both, There's this common um, misconception that forgiveness is a flip of a switch. You know, if you forgive somebody, then you're letting them off the hook for what they've done to you, right? Um, when in reality, forgiveness just unhooks you from that toxic situation. That person may not be toxic at all, but the situation might be. And so you have to forgive that person for what they did, and you have to continually forgive them. You have to say, every time you get mad and those emotions rise up and you get angry at that person, you have to say, no, I choose to forgive them, and I choose to bless them. Ask God to bless them. Sometimes the best thing you can do is say, Lord, forgive them, because I can't. But that's, that's the first step to healing. And then the third step, the third step is joyfulness. I'm getting to the point now to where every time I hear something about that person that's good, I genuinely say, oh, that's great. I'm so happy for him. You know, I've gotten past a lot of that bitterness and anger on it. My first prayer started off as, Lord, help him to quit being such a butthole. I remember that. That was my prayer. Pretty mature, right? And it's we're four years down the road, and, and I'm continually forgiving, and that forgiving process is, is a process, right? And now I can genuinely say I'm happy that, that, they're, that they're living their best life, that their ministry is going great, that, uh, that they're serving God, that God has blessed them abundantly with a, with a great marriage, and I think they have kids on the way now, and, and things like that. You know? And I can be genuinely thankful. And that's all because I got restored from what happened. 
and that's how you fix a lot of a lot of the things that have happened to you from other people. But and I'll get I'm going to get back to self restoration. How do you restore yourself? You do the same exact thing, right? You want to be restored. Why can't other people be restored? You the whole goal of, of restoration is to be restored, right? So the the people that 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 persecute you, you want them to be restored too for God's greater good and their will, and His will. So how do you get restored yourself? You do the same exact thing. You ask for forgiveness with willful choice. Every time that shame comes up of what you did or what you didn't do, or maybe that something did someone did to you, or maybe you did to someone, you have to continually forgive. Say no, no, I'm forgiven. I'm either forgiven or I'm forgiving them, and that unhooks you from that shame and that stuff that, that, that Satan is attacking you with. We want to be restored, so we need to also help other people be restored, and that starts by praying for them. So one thing I want to get straight is is you know we all know the the reap what you sow mentality, right, or the verse. The scriptural um, part in the Bible where it says we reap what we sow, right? And this is one thing I want to get across is, is we, when we reap gratitude, we sow gratitude. When we reap gratitude, we sow gratitude. So if you're grateful, you're going to sow grateful, right? If you're angry all the time, it's just going to breed anger. So I came up with uh, some things um, to kind of help with, with some restoration. Um, either with, It's either restoration between you and another person or you and God or or maybe it's just something that you did, and it's just a, it's a word, it's, and it's diffuse. Diffuse the situation. Um, D stands for define it clearly. Define the issue clearly. What is it? Get real with it. What's the problem that happened 40 years ago that you don't want to get over? What's the grudge you don't want to, that you don't want to let go? And by the way, maybe that's what's keeping you from having an intimate connection with your spouse. Maybe that's what's having, keeping you from having an intimate connection with a friend or a significant other, something that happened in your past. If you can't get real with those things, and I'm going to get real with you right now, your soul will die, and you will ruin every human relationship that you have. 